This is Out of Fashion, a podcast with Martin Kamer, hosted by Remo Hecklen. Dear listeners, welcome to another episode of the podcast Out of Fashion. This podcast deals with historical clothes and accessories in connection with the collecting activities of Martin Kamer from Switzerland. In the early 1980s, Martin Kamer turned his passion for fashion and fashion history into a profession. He began collecting historical fashion. Fashion reinvents itself again and again. Some things go out of fashion and years later suddenly become stylish and fashionable again. Dear Martin, when did you start collecting historical fashion? Seriously started collecting historical fashion in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s. But when I was studying in London, I already collected historic fashion elements because uh, as a research tool to um, be informed how these things were cut and made, made up then for creating theatrical costumes that helped me a lot to just to research into actual garments. So does it mean you actually cut these ropes by that time and, and open it? And, and, no, and no, 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 you don't cut them. Yeah. That would destroy the value, the historic uh, content. It would be just not done. You can't so you mainly stared at the shape? I studied the shapes, the sh studied the cut. Just the cost the academy where I studied had a very um, good um, costume department, costume making department, and we had uh, one of the most famous um, costume historians uh, teaching there, and we were taught the cut of these, how these um, historic fashions were cut from medieval till um, our days. We had a cutting class where we draped muslin and cut the shape. So that was very important for me uh, that, you know, to understand. And from there on, I educated myself in a way to become, if you start collecting, you need to know how these things were made so you can ascertain whether they are genuine, whether they are really 18th century or whether it's a costume for a ball that was made in 1900. Um, so it's mainly learning by doing. Yes, yes. Mm. Authentication by... Yeah, doing. But where do you get what you want? Where do you get all these historic dresses, historical fashion? Well, in the beginning, when I was in London, I went to Portobello Road. This is, that's the um, flea market of London, famous one. I went there every Saturday. So they knew you Well, they, they certainly didn't know this young man who came, asked questions, never bought anything because <laughs> I didn't have the money. Um I bought a couple of things, but I've asked questions and questions and questions, and that was a good education. I also went to the big auction houses. The big auction houses like Sotheby's and Christie's had fine sales, important sales, where sometimes they had historic clothing in the sale. They, weren't, they didn't have specialized sales then yet. But um, and you could go and view these sales. I also I went very often also painting sales. I learned a lot from uh, going to these exhibitions three four days before the actual sale, and you saw incredible masterpieces pass by, and it was very interesting. Also, so you were allowed to to go to these auctions. Oh yes, it was yes. open for 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 the public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
You have to, for people who buy, they go and examine exactly what, what's on offer because you get a catalogue and quite often the catalogue description is wrong and you have to uh, ascertain yourself what mm. the quality is that's on offer, whether it's authentic. Also, you have to figure it out yeah, yourself. You have to know. Yes, yeah. yes. And by going and looking and examining these things, you um, you learn a lot. Was it your own decision to go to your first auction or was there someone who took you by his hand? No, no. In the late, the mid-70s to, to the 80s, they started um, regular textile and costume auctions in London. Not the big, the big houses, but in the, the big houses had a sort of smaller establishment like Christie's South Kensington, Christie's, the, the main Sale room was in St. James's in the center of town. And then they had a minor sale room for lower end price wise, lower end items. And Christie's had at one stage, every Tuesday was a textile and costume sale. And three or four times a year was a fine where the big guns were being sold. So you said you learned you have learned learned a lot of these experts by that time or just by asking questions by asking questions and reading books and um you trained yourself i trained and, myself and, and you yes. learned a lot so but what actually are the basics of uh, collecting so how do you decide what to collect well it depends what what you like but in my case um i was always fashion my collecting um activity was really fashion based i in general? In general, yes. I have a big collection of books and um, engravings and photographs. All has to do and um, fashion magazines, a big collection. And um, and you bring all these different items uh, together? Yeah. Yeah, you have to... It's a sort of cross-reference, you know. You, uh, right, you look for similarities. For similarities. Differences. And, yes, and, yeah. Uh -huh. I was also was interested in... Um, in jewellery and also in porcelain because um, in the decorative arts there's a sort of a common language, a common sense of form and shape and you realise, oh, that's 18th century, that's 19th century, that's 1840s, this is 1870s or this is Art Deco. They have a certain kind of language and in the book printing, in so even in fashion magazines later on, Every five, six years, advertising looks totally different. But it's of its time. It's typical of the day it was made, I mean, if it's good. Mm. But by that time, you used to live both in London and in New York. So no, in the 70s, I lived in London. You lived in London. Yeah, I started living partly half-time half in um, London and New York in 1980. Right. So, but you traveled a lot by that time, oh, yes. right? Which means you, you went, you started to go to, to auctions, not only in London, no, also I, in Paris. I, I, in Paris, I had started going to auction as well, but auctions in Paris for clothes started rather late mm. before it was mainly my main buying sprees to Paris were to the fee market in... Uh, the Marché aux Puces. Marché aux Puces, yeah. Right. And um, in New York, then in the 80s, they started having big um, auctions as well. An incredible auction had happened in early 1987 uh, or 88, 87. And it was a huge auction of um, a wardrobe of a 
Italian or noble woman that that had to escape Mussolini and they went to live in um, Canada. And she had a big wardrobe of haute couture, all packed away in Louis Vuitton trunks. And when she died, her daughter wanted to give it to the local museum, but the local museum didn't want it. That was too early. They're probably kicking themselves now. But it was a huge wardrobe of mostly Vionnet and Chan- early Chanel, 20 Chanel, a fantastic wardrobe. Shoes and as and far hats. as I know, you really adore Vionnet, right? Yes, my, my great favourite. Um, I find in Vionnet was a genius in cut and manipulation of cloth. And it's just nobody else but like her. And I was able to buy quite a few. I paid a lot of money, but it was fine. And it worked out very well for me. But, I mean, how does it work when you buy a dress, a gown, whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes you, you wanted to export it from, from one country to another? What well, did you have to do? I mean, do, no, you, do, do you need a special license for that, an export license? It depends. From England, if an item is more than a certain amount of money, you need an export license. In France, if you go to an auction and a museum wants that piece, um, they can stand up and say préemption, and then you won't get it. But the museum that said préemption will get it. They have to pay the price that was established. In England, it's different. You have to apply for an export license, and you might get it or you might not get it, but you have to pay, and then... When in England, if you if you if you apply for a export license, they ask you, will you um, if a museum in England wants to buy it, will you sell it to them, or will you leave it to them? And I said yes, and then the price. Then you have to wait till you get the money, but you had to pay for it before, so it's very sometimes. Sometimes, but you always have to adapt to these different kind of uh, yeah yeah. I mean rules in, in um, from America, you can buy anything, you can export it, absolutely no problem. As well as import. As well as import. And if in, in, in America, if an item is over 100 years old, you don't pay import duty. So they are maybe in a desperate need of some antiques. some traces and antiques. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's, um, uh, you still have to get a, an, an, insu- an, an customs broker who has to... Um, Evaluate. No, has value. to talk to the custom to customs and see whether it's really eighty. What you say it is. Ah, oh, you have to prove it. You have to prove what it is. I, I used had to used to make lists and and um, catalog copies and things. Like that's that. That's that. That costs so much and so. That's how. That's the. That's mm. the the system. I mean, I was once asked by the. They had a. They had a shipment of eighteenth um, century lace tablecloths from Italy, and um, they asked me. Could you? Could I? I had established that I knew something by now. So they said, "Would, would I mind giving my, my opinion?" And I looked at these tablecloths, and they were made in China yesterday. So, but they knew that already. But they wanted to be sure that somebody who deals in this stuff gives them an opinion. So you not only collect dresses, you also collect books and illustrations and and pictures and and photos and especially. Daguerreotypes, Dax. Yes, yes, daguerreotypes. Um, I started when I went to London. I was really blown over by Victorian photography because for the first time before people, what you research was was graphics, hmm. drawings or engravings in fashion journals and so But this time it was 
a real person wearing a real piece of clothing. And I found that fascinating. Plus the um, charm of a daguerreotype is unsurpassed. It's the first kind of photography that was invented in 1839. And it's a mirror with a picture on it. And it depends how you hold it. The it's, mirror, it's the like picture a sil- disappears. It's a silver plate. And it's a mirror. So you, you see yourself and you could disappear and it's a very fascinating um, object. It's a portrait of an unknown person and a selfie of yourself at yeah, the same time. at the same time, yeah. It's very interesting. I'm pretty sure we will talk about your daguerreotype collection in another episode so far. Thank you very much, Martin, for these stories in this today's episode. And dear listeners, thank you all for listening to our podcast out of fashion. Thank you for listening. This was out of fashion.